Nehemiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it, though at the time I had not hung the doors and the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? But they sent me this message four times, and I answered them in the same manner. Then Sambalat sent his servant to me as before, the fifth time, with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says, that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall that you may um, you are rebuilding the wall that you may be their king. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king. So come, therefore, and let us consult together. Then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. For they all were trying to make us afraid, saying, Their hands will be weakened in the work, and it will not be done. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We're so grateful that we have it to turn to, Lord, in this world that's, from a human standpoint, is unraveling, but from your standpoint, it's right on schedule to where you're leading everything, God. And so we yield our hearts to you, Lord. We ask that you would encourage your people, that you would encourage us, Lord, help to redirect our hearts, convict us, stir us up, encourage us. You're so faithful to do that by your Holy Spirit. So we yield our lives to you, God. We want to be open. Whatever you want to speak to us, your servants are listening, God. Help us to listen related to what we're obeying and not what we're just agreeing with, God. We want to be doers of your word, not just hearers deceiving ourselves. Help us, Lord, to be willing to encourage each other and exhort one another daily as your word tells us to. We're just so thankful, Lord, that your word will accomplish every task that it's sent to accomplish, God. And we know, Lord, that um, you're, you're gracious, and we need you to be gracious, Lord. And so we're so thankful we can come to you in time of need and cast our cares upon you because you care for us. Help us to obey the law of Christ, Lord, in loving one another. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So here Nehemiah is in the middle of this project of rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. And he's hit some obstacles for sure. He's faced some mockery. He's faced some um, threats. He's faced um, internal disobedience that we looked at last week, where we saw that there were nobles and others that took advantage of the people that were disobeying God's word because they were charging their brother's interest. And they were allowing that to get to the point where the people had to 
sell their children into slavery. They were forced to. They, 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 lands were taken from them, and they couldn't sell their lands to help pay debts and taxes and all of this, and it grieved Nehemiah, grieved him. And worse than that, it grieved the Lord's heart because he saw it all along, and he saw it way before Nehemiah even came on the scene. He saw it, and it matters to him how we treat one another. We're called to do good to others, and it says, especially in the household of faith especially in the household of faith. We should never take advantage of one another, ever. We should always try to serve one another, do what's best for the other person. That's what love is. Love is doing what's best for another person, even at our own expense. That was modeled for us brilliantly and beautifully, and from the sense of what he suffered tragically on the cross, by the cross. So we see that God loved us enough to do what's best for us, even at his own expense. And he calls us to do that for one another. Where we help somebody and serve them and we sacrifice until it hurts. Where it costs us something. And so we have to be willing to do that. And, And so that's such a higher plane of living that far beyond what the world lives, how the world lives. So when we're told, as it was quoted earlier, that don't, all men will know that we're his disciples by how we love one another. That's part of how that happens. It's not just that they see us say, oh, I love you to our brothers, or we hug them, or we're very um, you know, affectionate towards them. But when they have need, just like we saw in James last week, when we have need, we actually do something about it. In Acts chapter 2, I've been going over uh, this in the School of Pastoral Ministry with the the guys in the pastoral program, the class orientation to ministry, have been looking at the early church, and, and, and we've been looking at how the early church didn't get to define what the church was supposed to be about and do, and the apostles knew that they just didn't have the freedom to make the church whatever they wanted it to be, and it's still the same today. Leaders do not have that luxury to just experiment on the body of Christ related to the latest book they've read or some strategy or whatever they have to follow what scripture says and part of what scripture says in acts chapter 2 is that they went from house to house sharing meals with one another giving as everybody had need and they were they were caring for one another and the world saw that and right after that it says in in verse 47 of acts chapter 2 and the lord added daily those that were being saved it wasn't just the apostles doctrine prayers breaking of bread all those things it was the love that they saw, demonstrated practically. And as we get better and better at that, there's going to be more people that are going to be watching that, seeing that. They're going to say, I don't see that out in the world. That's legitimate stuff. That's real love and action. This is what I've always hoped there would be. I always hoped that that kind of love existed. I'm seeing it now demonstrated as I'm coming around these Christians. They're sacrificially loving and giving towards one another. I know that the world doesn't function like this. That love has to come from somewhere. It must come from Jesus. And then they come to that right conclusion, and then they want to know more about him. So it's, it's a beautiful thing. So last week we saw this internal damage that happened for in, in disobeying God's word. And so God dealt with that. The people rightly repented when they were called on it. They could have fought it. They could have been stiff-necked, as it's described in the Old Testament, stiff-necked. You know, wagging your heads is this. Stiff-necked is like you just don't want to 
humble yourself and obey what God says. And you, it's not something that a chiropractor can fix. There's a lot of things that a chiropractor can't fix that claim to fix. It's amazing what chiropractors have going on in their offices, man. It's like you're like working out hamsters. You're, you know, you're doing electro, you know, they're not really doing hamsters, but they're doing electro shock stuff. They're doing like, and if you're a chiropractor here, I want to hear about all the blessings that are associated with that. But I just look at all this stuff and going, man, they just sure do a lot of stuff. But the, 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 the stiff-necked origin is, is a stiff heart. It's a heart issue, not a neck issue. And, and so they, they repented. They said, we will do as you say. They made, and so that allowed the work to continue. What if they hadn't done that? If they hadn't done that, then, then the, the work probably wouldn't continue, and they would have, the enemy would have overcome the situation, or at least it would have been delayed. So now this week... In verse 1, we're told this. Now, it happened when Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem, those are the, that's like the unholy alliance there, um, the Arab, and the rest, yeah, I love that. He just names, yeah, the Arab, you know, it's just like, I'll just describe him. And the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there was no breaks left in it, though at the time I had not hung the doors in the gate. So it's not totally completed. But it's close. He hasn't hung the doors yet. Those weren't small doors. Those weren't just like a little door. Those were huge doors there on those gates. And so it hadn't been finished yet, but the wall was done, basically. And the the wall part of the whole structure that goes around the city. So they heard about it. and, and, And so they reacted to it. So as we continue in ministry, as we continue building the things that God's called us to build, to to do the things that God's called us to do with our calling and all of that, there's going to be progress. And we've seen initial uh, opposition, right? That didn't work. And sometimes we think, okay, once we get past that, the enemy will get the hint (laughs) and he'll stop. But he doesn't stop. And it's it's 98% completed but yet it's still, the, the, the warfare is still coming. So that's a good lesson for us to realize that when we get past all the warfare in the beginning of something, that doesn't mean that that's going to just go away and now we're not going to have to deal any more opposition. Even after it's built, there's going to be things. And, and as we know from history, we know from Israel's history that there was many more attacks that came on the nation there. But most of those were internal Again, those are the most powerful ones. So, um, verse 2. That, that so Balat and Geshem sent to me, come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. And I want to stop there. I think it's the perfect name for that plain right there. Ono. And I bet if he had what he wanted in terms of... Um, Sam Ballad and those that were wanting him to come and all of that and, 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 and Nehemiah stopped the work and went down there um, he'd be saying oh no for sure as a result of what would happen there so I think it's appropriate at least in English it works for us it, you know as they say that'll preach um, but it, in the, when you're in the middle of what God is doing it's very tempting to stop and not finish completely. Again, we love to start things. We're really good at starting things. Finishing things may be a whole other matter. I don't know about you, but as a kid, those models that we used to build started a lot of those. Didn't really finish them. 
Um, there's not too many people that I knew that finished them. It was always impressive. Like you went over someone's house and I'm like, wow, you actually finished one of those models. It's like you painted it. You actually followed it all the way through the end. We, I've never seen that before. You know, it, we, we love to start things. It's hard to finish, but um, <laughs> it's funny. So it doesn't, it, he doesn't stop there. And he sent to me saying, come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono and um, the, ne- the rest of verse 2 is very, very noteworthy. It says God gave Nehemiah insight and discernment into this because you can see it, but it said at the end of verse 2, it says, but they, they thought to do me harm. They thought to do me harm. So the enemy wants to do us harm. He, loves, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said that in John chapter 10. I have come that they would have life and have it to the full. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to do harm to us. So leaving the work of God, whatever he's called you to, whatever you're called to build, whatever you're called to do, whatever you're called to finish that you've started and all of that, uh, before it's completed, if you stop that before it's completed, it will cause great harm to the work. And it will cause harm to us. We don't realize that. And we think, oh, I've been, I'm so far down the road. I'm almost done with this thing. You know, I'm, you know, I'm almost at the end of my life. And, you know, I'm, we think that because we don't know when we're going to die. We think we do. Uh, but we, I'm almost at the end. And, you know, I just, what, what, what's the big deal if I leave my marriage now? I've been married for 35 years, let's say. And I'll just, I'm just going to leave it. You know, that, that's leaving that's going to the plane of Ono uh, and not finishing what God's called us to build, which is that marriage, and to glorify God through it. There are people that do that at the end of their lives. Uh, but that could, it could be a million different things where God's called us to something and, and that we leave prematurely, and there's a great risk associated with that. Verse 3, so I sent messengers to them. So he doesn't come down. You see that? He doesn't come down doesn't come down from the wall, but he sends messengers to them. And, and so just a good reminder to us, you know, he could have come down, but that wasn't where God had called him to, to go. He, he was called to stay there, to keep overseeing and all that. He sent messengers to go and communicate um, with the enemy. And then look at the rest of verse 3, saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? See, Nehemiah recognizes that he's in the middle of, despite the difficulty and pain of it, and these guys weren't worth stopping for, that's for sure. Um, he's in the middle of a work of God, a great work of God, and so it would, be, it would be foolish for him to stop the work and go down to that plain of Ono and consult consult what what are you consulting about like what are you going to say to me that's worth hearing no what what is it what could they possibly say to nehemiah that would make it sound like a good idea to to do whatever they wanted him to do there would be no reason for that and and so you know sometimes we um we let the world's influences or the world's voices affect how we continue or not continue in what god's called us to do and called us to build. And we're told very clearly in Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3, this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, 
nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. See, the enemy entices us by, by these means that I want to talk about right now. He entices us. He amplifies what's wrong about our situation. Isn't he good at that? He amplifies what's wrong or the negative things or the things that he knows are discouraging to us. He amplifies. You know, you may have had an amplifier back in the day in your stereo, and it's a totally different stereo when you get an amplifier hooked up to it. You know, it's a totally different discouragement level when the enemy amplifies something that he knows we're discouraged over. He loves to do that. He lies, but he also, as we've talked about already, he also gives us facts that are actually reality. They correspond to reality, and he tries to get us to focus on those things versus all the other facts that are true at the same time. All the things that are true related to God ordaining what we're in the middle of. He conveniently leaves all that out. So what does Nehemiah say? He says, I am doing a great work. How important was it for Nehemiah to say that? They needed to hear that Nehemiah knew he was doing a great work. They needed to hear that. They needed to hear that they know that they're on task. They know what they're doing. They know that this is greater than themselves. See, God's good hand, as he said, was upon him. Nehemiah said that. King Artaxerxes supplied, as we've talked about, the three things. The papers to be able to travel there, the building materials, and the military escort. So God had already provided all that. He'd shown Nehemiah that, that he's in it. This is a result of prayer by Nehemiah. When he heard the news, he went to prayer four months later. He saw that opportunity before King Artaxerxes. He was just being who he was. He saw he was upset. He had the words already to say, but he did pray in the moment. And God was in all of that, worked, in the hand, worked uh, through King Artaxerxes because he holds the heart of the king in his hand, whether he knows the Lord or not. And so he knew that God was in it, and he'd also supplied all of the workers. He'd all, even though as feeble as they were, their backgrounds were not construction backgrounds. His wasn't either. But he supplied all of that, and he, all of that spoke to him and said, I am doing a great work. When God is using us to build something, whether it's a church building or whether it's a family or a marriage or a ministry, and he's called us to to work, because ministry is work. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that he gives leaders to the body of Christ to equip the saints for the work of ministry. It's work. Sometimes people don't learn that for a while until they get in the middle of it and like, oh, this is actually hard. This is actually, I have to actually do something. I have to work hard um, and sacrifice. Yes, absolutely. Uh, But whatever it is, you and I need to not get distracted away from what God has called us to do. Because going down to the plain of Ono, whatever that means for us, to come down off that wall, to get distracted and to compromise and to consult with the world or the enemy, nothing good can come out of that it may look great it may look like the plane of oh yeah (laughs) Uh, it may look like uh, this is perfect this is a great thing but it's not because we have to look at the the things that God's already done 
One of the things you do when you're helping someone work through all these things is to help them see the big picture, to see how God provided in the first place for it to happen, to see God's track record with it, to see how it's bearing fruit, not only in other people's lives, but in your life. And, and all these things that are there to see the bigger picture, to not get distracted away. And, and, and we have to understand that. Now, the issue is, is truth. That's the issue related to not being tempted away to come down off that wall, to go down to consult with the enemy in the, in the plain of Ono. We have to know truth. We have to know reality. Jesus said he would lead us into all truth. He said that to the disciples, but he also said in Matthew 28, all things that I have told you, teach them to observe as well. And so we're not any less led by the Spirit than the disciples. And so for us, we need to be sensitive to his leading and understand he will lead us into all truth. And as I read in Psalm 1, it said, we don't listen to the counsel of the world or the ungodly, but, but what do we do though? We don't just not do that. We delight in the law of the Lord. We delight in his word. Because that is how God guides. He guides through truth. We will never have to compromise his word to walk in his will. And people, man, things look good. They're seeing the discouragement of, of one set of facts. Because, God, because the enemy is amplifying those things. Their emotions are all over the place. And, and all of a sudden this other opportunity looks like it might be good. Or it might be a wise thing to do or whatever. And we need to understand the whole truth of the situation. The whole thing, that God's good hand is upon us because he has provided all these things and he's used these things in my life for me to grow and all those things. And so we have to understand that he guides through truth. We're never going to have to compromise his word. I've been in counseling situations. God wants me to be happy. He wants me to be fulfilled and all these things. Yes, he does, but he doesn't want us to do those things and, and we don't have to disobey God's word to get those things. And that's where the deception comes in. That's part of why when Jesus talked about the parable of the soils, he talked about the different kinds of hearts. And the heart that can receive God's word, he delights in the law of the Lord. He, he loves God's word, he can receive it, and it bears forth fruit, 100-fold, 50-fold, or whatever, that's the kind of heart that God wants. And so that kind of heart received God's word and is protected and preemptively um, prevented from making these mistakes because Nehemiah was protected by the truth and he will be like a tree that produces fruit in its season. So wherever God's planted you, wherever you're prospering, whatever, how he's using you in the work that he's called you to and all those things, he's using that to bear fruit through your life and bless other people and all of that. And he's not going to contradict his word and have you break it or go against his word to do something different that looks more enticing because it's easier. See, that's, that's usually what, what it comes down to is what's easier. Because it's hard to persevere when things are difficult and to stay where you're supposed to stay on that wall. Because you want to bail. You want to leave. Because you, 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 your emotions are telling you, you need to go, you need to go, you need to escape this. And God is wanting to use those very circumstances to prune you and to break you and to make you a humble servant, to make you where you're not impressed with yourself, to not, that you're not trusting in your own wisdom, that you're humbled and submitted to his will and what he wants. And, and sanctification is the most important thing and not supremely my happiness. Just like that book that we have in 
in, in the equipping library, and, and it ta he talks about in there um, how he's more, God's more concerned about our holiness in our marriages than our happiness, because happiness ebbs and flows in our lives. But he's concerned about holiness. He's concerned about us honoring him in front of everybody, our kids, our grandkids, the world that's watching. We don't bail when things get hard. We don't disobey God's word when things get difficult. We ask for God's grace. We lean on the church. We go to God in prayer, and he comes through and gives us everything that we need to obey him and where he's called me to. We're not going down to the, the plain of Ono. We're going to stay on that wall, and we're going to be faithful, and we're going to be dependent upon him. It'd be so easy for Nehemiah to leave things unfinished. It'd be so easy for Nehemiah to focus on how bad their situation was. And you know what? He's almost done. But even with that, he could still compromise and mess things up. That wall can be broken down as fast as it was put up. Those gates were important. though They needed to be put up. So he's almost done. And he can't compromise at this point. It would be so easy for him to do that. He was in the middle of a great work, and leaving that work would have been horrific when God hasn't, hadn't spoken to him to leave it uncompleted. But it would have been easier. Now notice compromise doesn't come once, <laughs> the, the opportunity for it. Look with me at verse 4. But they sent me this message four times, and I answered them in the same manner. That's hilarious to me. They're not giving up four times. The enemy is persistent. He doesn't just try once. That's why we're called to have resolve and stand our ground in remaining in the work God has called us to, even when things get hard, and they're going to get harder and harder sometimes before they get better. He's called us to stand our ground. And if it was wrong to compromise the first time and break, go, violate his word, to leave what he's called us to do and to be and who he's called us to be, it's going to be wrong the fourth time. It's going to be wrong the second time, the third time, the fourth time, the fifth time, the sixth time, the tenth time, the ten thousandth time. God's word is not going to change. And that standard is going to be the standard regardless if we want to obey it or not. And he doesn't want to discipline us, but if we force him to choose between his word and disciplining us, he's going to choose disciplining us if we don't obey his word. We don't want to make him to choose. He's going to honor his word. So he doesn't stop with the mockery. He doesn't stop with the threats, the enemy. He keeps going. And he comes with this whole thing of trying to get him to come down. But then when Nehemiah tells him the truth, he doesn't stop there. And they come, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming, and, and on all of that. And so he's, he's going to keep doing that. We have to recognize that. And just say, okay, Lord, that's, can you handle that But for me? He, he loves to handle that on our behalf. It's beautiful. He'll just, he doesn't even, the enemy, we talk, I hope you're not talking to the enemy. He's not worthy of anything. We're not told to talk to him anywhere. We're told to resist the devil. It doesn't mean that we're told that we have to tell him I'm resisting him. It doesn't say that. It just says resist him. There's no place we're told to talk to Satan. He's not even worthy of one syllable of our time. You know, and that's modeled here with, with Nehemiah. He sends his messengers. You know how much that offended Sambalat? He was a governor of Samaria. People didn't do that to him. He sent messengers to people like he did Nehemiah. But you don't go and, and, and you go and talk to him. It's like if you got a call, well, you know, we can't, you go, you know. Let's just say there was a governmental person 
that you respected, okay? And they called you, and they were very important. And they said, I want to talk to you. But they're not going to call you up. They're going to send they're going to, their chief of staff or whoever to call you. And then, let's say they're really important. Let's say it's the governor of another state. or so. I don't know how to say this right, but you know what I mean. You're, 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 you're there, and they send this message to you, and then you have your whoever call them back. Instead of, they want you to call them, and then you're sending someone else to talk to them. They'd be completely offended by this. But he doesn't even, it's not even worth this time to get down there. I bet you if there were phones that Nehemiah wouldn't even have called that guy. He would have had someone else call him. It's not even worth talking to. Uh, it's hilarious to me. Now, the enemy's not going to stop there. He's going to go to rumors, gossip, and slander. Look at verse 5. Then Sambalat sent his servants to me as before, the fifth time, but now with an open letter in his hand. So, so <laughs> he doesn't, he's the fifth attempt now, but now he has a letter, an open letter. And these things were sealed you know, normally, so it's an open letter for him for to read and all of that. And you know, attacks can come, rumors can happen for everybody to see. You know, all those things, especially today with social media and all those things, people can slander you and gossip about you and all of those things. And and we have to rise above it. Look at verse six. In it, this open letter was written. It is reported among the nations. That Geshem says that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall that you may be their king. So he's ascribing bad motives to this. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying there is a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king. So come, therefore, and let us consult together again he wants to consult together he's so collaborative isn't he just so collaborative and just wants to give input and talk these things out and just come down off that wall you know the wall's mostly done those gates are are not built yet but you know you got time just come down and let's talk this out now these are very serious charges that he's saying they're not light charges these are very real charges that could be leveled against him and so First, you know, he comes four times with this plain invitation before bringing up the letter. See, there's stages of attack. And, and it does, the first things don't work. He just comes with other things, other things, other things. But it's, we're told that we're not ignorant of the enemy's devices. Paul said that. We're not enter, entering uh, ignorant of the enemy's devices. And he said that in the context of not showing grace to somebody that God had restored. He said that in 2 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, there's this man... There, there that was sleeping with the stepmom. The church put up with it. Paul rebuked them in his, the first letter to Corinth to put him out. Put him out. But not just to, not, it wasn't to hurt him. It was to, that he would be disciplined so that he could come back. And they were hesitant about bringing him back. And he said, we need to bring him back. We need to extend grace to him. And we don't want the enemy to get a foothold. We, we're not ignorant of his devices. So we can be, allow the enemy to work when we're not gracious with allowing people to be restored when they're repentant and they're, God's done a work in their heart and all of that, we can actually be used by the enemy in that in many different ways. That's the context of that. So now lies are being spread. They're serious ones. And how does Sembalat know this anyway? It is reported, so-and-so said, Geshem says, and all of that. False reports. And they, those false reports can actually they can be very effective in spreading lies and all of that. So-and-so said this, this person said that. 
and we can believe it's so easy and we can disobey where God has us on that wall in ministering and serving because we're believing what other, all these things that are being said supposedly about us and we need to go to that person and we need to ask them, did you say this? If they've sinned against you, we need to confront them with that. And we need to hopefully win our brother. That's what we're told in Matthew 18. But don't believe something based on hearsay or slander. Go to that person. Shut all that down. So often people will say they're trying to help you. You know, I'm giving you some you know, information and all that and everything. We have to chase all that down in the sense of if persons sinned against us. But we can't worry about our reputation. And that's something where we can get distracted away from God's work. Because we're trying to protect our reputation. God's never called us to protect our reputation. As I said a few weeks ago, David let the whole nation misunderstand his bravery and made it look like he was afraid of Saul because he wanted to obey God and not violating how God takes people down and how he brings them up. So he wasn't concerned about his reputation. We're called to keep our character, to take care of our own character, and then entrust our reputation to God. And, And if we do that, then... None of these false things will ever stick. But the enemy knows how to get to us. He knows how to push our buttons. And he does it through a, a lot of different ways. And we, we do a lot in ourselves, in our flesh, but he capitalizes upon that. I heard one teacher give a quote of Adolf Hitler, what he said about how he approached affecting the Jews then and during the Holocaust. He said that mental confusion contradiction of feelings confusion and panic these are our weapons from Adolf Hitler so it obviously he's working with the enemy the enemy knows how to do all of those things to bring fear and all that and, and and we have to guard against all these feelings that that are going on inside of us at different times they're very real again there's these things that are serious charges there's these facts that they were feeble that was a fact they were feeble But those are only one set of facts. The other set of facts said that God's going to give them everything that they need. That God's good hand was upon them. And so we need other believers in our lives that can tell us the truth. We need God's word in our lives feeding upon God's word. We can get the whole truth and nothing but the truth about our situation and not believe these things. Because these tactics are very effective apart from us standing in faith and in obedience to God's word. Again, the issue is truth. The issue is God's word. What does God's word say about the situation? That's the standard, not anything else. It's God's word. Our feelings can be 100% against God's word and what he's already told us. And I'm thankful I've had the blessing of being able to have eight mentors, eight pastors in my life, all different and diverse and added something different, and, and I'm in contact with most of them still, and one of the things I learned a long time ago, and, I, and of course it's something I have to guard against in my own life, of course, is, is that sometimes there's a situation where Christians will hear something from God about something they're supposed to do, and God supernaturally confirms it. He know, they know that they've heard from him and all that, and he speaks and so forth. And then they get in the middle of, of, their, of that situation, and the circumstances change. And they start making decisions based on the circumstances, and they never ask themselves if God spoke again. Did God speak again? Because the last thing you told me you heard from him is this, but these circumstances have happened, and now you're acting as if he didn't know those things were coming, 
and I haven't heard you say that he has spoken to you again about this or that he's, you've finished what he's called you to finish. So has he spoken? And I'll ask people, and I've asked myself. Before that, I had them ask me. <laughs> or I didn't have them. They asked me. They didn't ask for my permission. They just asked me. When I'm wanting to quit something, they're saying, okay, well, what's the last thing God told you? Did he specifically tell you to stop doing this? And I have to be honest. Like, no, I haven't heard him say to stop. Well, then go back to the last thing he told you. Because he knew about those circumstances. He knew about them. What's interesting about all of this is that God's will sometimes is so much harder than we think it's going to be in the beginning. And he doesn't say to those disciples when he called them, come follow me and this is what you're going to suffer. Almost all of you are going to die a martyr's death. You're going to suffer. You're going to... He doesn't say any of that. Was he cruel by not saying that? No. He was Because he told them later certain things. But they knew by the Spirit, this is the man I need to follow. I need to go after this man. I know this. Intuitively, by the Spirit, I need to follow this man. I know it. I don't know what it is about him. I haven't worked it out all theologically. But I know this man, I'm being drawn to this man. And I need to follow this. And that's what happened with them. And they looked back in their life, and it was completely different than what they thought. So we can pre-plan it. Okay, this is how it's going to be when I obey God in this venture of faith. Do you realize this church is nothing like what I expected it to be? Nothing. Almost nothing was what I expected. When I say expected, not like counting on it to be, but thinking that how things would probably happen. But I wouldn't trade it for anything. The lives that have been changed and the influence that we've had and all of that. And it's just getting started. Feels like 40 years of ministry in some ways already have gone by, but it hasn't been that way. Um, you guys feel that way from all the bad jokes, I know. But... Um, you know, God has grace for that too. And you can try to say he doesn't, but he does have grace for uh, my bad jokes. So, um, so a lot of this originates with not realizing how hard God's will is. And what's interesting is that um, Nehemiah knew the truth. Because he said in verse 8, look at there, he says, Then I sent to him saying, No such things as you say are being done but you invent them in your own heart. See, again, truth was the issue. God had given him that information. He didn't have a track record of being a righteous man and all of that. Of course, God's going to give him discernment. So going to the plain of Ono to consult with those outside of Jerusalem, with the, with the enemy, so to speak, <laughs> that fruit, there was going to be no fruit from that. There was already fruit from where he was. Where he was. And we can get our eyes on, okay, this would be so much greater because it's hard dealing with what I'm dealing with now, but it's much harder to be out of God's will with this mirage of fruit that's coming through my life instead of being faithful to where he's planted me and going through this difficulty and going through this hard, this hard situation and growing through it instead of trying to escape it, much better glorifying God, especially I didn't hear him tell me not to do it anymore. And I'm going to finish, and I'm going to be faithful by his grace. So you made up all this in your own heart, dude. Verse 9. <laughs> For they were, all were trying to make us afraid, saying their hands will be weakened in the work, and it will not be done. And I want to stop there. Enemy loves to use fear. Loves to use fear. And we'll see it a lot more times in this chapter next week. It's, it's repeated over and over again. The enemy loves to use fear. It's such a powerful emotion. You know, we fear, some people fear death. Some people fear the approval of man. Some people fear failure. 
um, fear of, of getting a building not done in time. You know, there's, there's all kinds of fears that we can have and all of that. But, um, the, you know, the fear of what others think and the fear of failure are very interconnected. And I've seen that stop a lot of fruitful ministry. God knows that we have to fail at times to grow. And we know that here. Don't ever be afraid to fail. And I don't have to rub people's noses when they make mistakes because thankfully they don't do that for me because I make mistakes. But if they're called to do what they're doing, listen to this. If they're called to do what they're, what they're doing, they're going to feel the worst out of anybody. Most of what I do at times in the past especially is help people not beat themselves up too much over this thing and get past it. So I'm definitely not going to be rubbing their noses in it. We all fall short. We all make mistakes. So don't be afraid to fail. fail. Failure is part of growing. How many times do we see people fail in the Bible? God is so gracious to reveal all that. That's why I know the Jews didn't make up all this stuff because they'd never write all this stuff about themselves. They look pretty bad. And the original disciples look pretty bad too. Would you inspire a gospel where you're writing about that you were fighting about who's the greatest? I'm going to leave that part out. They didn't leave that part out. They left it in. So we have to look at these things. We have to have faith in God's word. We need to let be God-led. We need to watch him provide. We need to look at who, you know, how he's demonstrated fruit through what we're in the middle of. And he hasn't spoken to us to the contrary. A specific word from him. We need to stay faithful to it. So he knows what we need before we ever, ever start. And he's going to continue being faithful. And he's honest with us. Because you know what? God already had told Nehemiah that it was going to be hard. I want to read you a passage from Daniel chapter 9. It says this in Daniel 9.25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince... There shall be seven weeks and 72 weeks. When that's a whole other teaching we'll get to someday in Daniel. The street shall be built again and the wall. That's what Nehemiah is working on right now. He's working on the wall. So Daniel had said the street shall be built again and the wall. And then at the very end of verse 25, he adds this. And I know Nehemiah knew all about this. Even in troublesome times. So God's word had already declared graciously to Nehemiah that he would be, when he does this, whenever God leads him to whoever to do that, that it was going to be in troublesome times in the context of that. And hasn't Jesus Jesus told us the same thing? In this life you will face tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He told us he's going to prune and to break us. And brokenness is great but it's painful. Not a lot of books written on it. You won't see a lot of books on Christian suffering and brokenness in the, in the Christian bookstores. There's not a lot of songs written about it. We, it's not just super, you know, exciting to think about, but it's so important for Christian growth. Brokenness. It allows us to be more fruitful. It allows us to not be impressed with ourselves and have less self-dependence, more yielded to the Holy Spirit. It allows us to be submitted to God and under those and to those under whom we serve. 
to be more not just not impressed with ourselves and our judgment. The more we study the Bible, the more that we grow, the more that we see God work through our lives, the more submitted we are, and when the more we recognize that we don't have all the answers and our judgment isn't always the best and we're submitted to him, all that brokenness makes us more fruitful. And, and in John 15, we're told that the reason why God does that is to bear more fruit through us. When you prune something... And I know there's the application of lifting the vine branches and all of that, but it also means to hack. You know? And when I remember Charles Stanley said one time when he went into an orchard and he saw how they hacked those trees down, he was like, that's going to kill those trees. That's, there's, there's no, God, listen, God, you know, that's like, that's, that's going to kill those trees, cutting them down like that to little nubs. And that's what we feel like when God's pruning us. We feel like, I can't take this anymore. This is too difficult. But Jesus was honest with us and said, in this life, you will face tribulation. You're going to suffer. If you, keep in mind, if the world hates you, it hated me first. Don't be stumbled that the world hates you. Don't, don't be stumbled by the difficulty of it all. It's going to be difficult, but it's going to be great. The virtue of being an overcomer couldn't exist without having to overcome something. And he calls us all to be overcomers. There's going to be a whole, heaven's going to be populated with overcomers by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And that's what he's called us to, to, to be faithful in. Now, look at the last, the rest of verse 9, Nehemiah's response. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. See, the enemy's observation was factual. They were weak. They did have weak hands. It's not like they didn't have weak hands. They had weak hands. But as we saw in past weeks, the enemy often only provides part of the truth. We need to look at the other side, that God's available to strengthen my hands. He tells me to go to him in prayer so I can be dependent upon him. When we're tempted to get off that wall and go down to the plain of Ono and compromise, we need to recognize that God has all the resources that we need to be faithful and to finish the work that he's called us to start or to maintain or whatever it is. He has all, the, all those things that, that, that we need. Those other set of facts are so important. And that's where we get it from, the God's word. We get the, the rest of the story. And we need to pray, just like Nehemiah did. We need to ask him in prayer. When those attacks are coming, we need to go to prayer. When we don't pray, we don't go to him, and we're not dependent upon him, then we're going to get weaker and weaker and weaker, and we're going to be less and less able to withstand that temptation to get down off that wall, to go down to that plane, and to consult with the enemy, which is only, only going to lead to bad things. So let's recognize, as I close, that whatever we're called to build from God is a great work. Whatever your ministry is, wherever you're serving, this ministry is a great work because he started it, he's maintaining it, and, and we're being led by him as best as we know how to hear him. We're not perfect, but as best as we know how to hear him, we're being led by him. And he loves to take small things that the world looks at and says, what is that? And use that to make so many things happen and to bring glory to himself. We're in that position because we, just like in Revelation, we wrote to that one church and he said you're weak and all these things. But, you know, he says, I will, I'll use you. So let's not also have fear. Let's also not worry about the approval of others. Let's not try to protect our reputation in the context of ministry. And let nothing stop us from finishing that work, even if we're 98% there. You know, on December 31st, 
right up to the date where we're moving in. I mean, obviously work's going to continue after the first, but when it's almost done, in terms of what needs to happen for us to be in there, let's be faithful, or whatever your ministry is, be faithful all the way to the end. Even if the, all the wall's built, so to speak, and you just have the gates left, be faithful all the way to the end. Let's not be afraid of brokenness. Let's cooperate with the Holy Spirit and keep our lives submitted to him and, and, and let him break us. And he's the only one that breaks things and makes them better, as it's been said, makes us more usable and it's beautiful. Don't get stumbled by how difficult God's will is. As it's been said, the thing that's harder is being out of God's will. If, man, all the grace that's available is beautiful when we're in the middle of God's word, or will rather. When we're out of his will, then he's disciplining us to get us back into his will. So we want to be in his will. And let's go to him in prayer and ask for the strength for us to have our hands strengthened, our perspective strengthened, our resolve strengthened, everything strengthened for us to be faithful to finish what he's called us to start. Amen? He'll do it. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for these verses. Lord, help us to be faithful in, in everything that you've called us to do. We pray for those, Lord, that are dealing with sickness today. We pray for those, Lord, that are struggling. We pray, God, that you would encourage them. We pray, Lord, you'd help us to remain usable and yielded to you. Thank you, Father, that you can do a lot with a little. We need that, Lord. So we submit our lives to you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.